Welcome to the Podcast Podcast. The podcast where we podcast about podcasts. I'm Dita. And I'm Lisa. Hey, Lisa. Hey, Dita. What's up? Oh, what, what's up with me? Uh, I asked first. Okay, fine. <laughs> you win. Well, I just got a soda stream from some friends for cheap, and I've been thinking about soda lately. Mmm, sweet, sweet sugar juice. Oh yeah, give me give me that that sugar and fake flavor and caffeine. <laughs> I think I am genetically predisposed to like sparkling liquids. Uh, Jews, for whatever reason, are like notorious for liking seltzer and soda water, etc. Like it's just a thing. And um, my best friend from high school, who is also Jewish, is like forever annoyed because I always offer her sparkling water. She goes, Dita, I don't like sparkling water. And I go, oh, yeah. Yeah, I even remember um, we ate with your parents a couple times, and each time there was a carafe of sparkling water. Oh, yeah. Well, because they have a soda stream. (laughs) And I do, too, now, except I'm trying to find something I like that's not just plain sparkling water, because to me, that just tastes bitter. Um. And I discovered, fool that I am, I didn't realize this, uh, that, you know, soda is basically just carbonated water with syrup in it. And they sell the syrups so you can make your own sodas. So I've been doing that. Mmm. What did you find? So they have an off-brand Dr. Pepper, which is pretty good. Mmm. And off-brand Cherry Cola, which is not very good. And now I'm drinking uh, Pepsi. Like, actual Pepsi. Huh. You know, I find the, the off-brand Cherry Cola thing not being good kind of interesting. Because, to me, Dr. Pepper is kind of like a cherry-flavored soda like yeah not quite cola but like i like for example i'm forever baffled by cherry dr pepper because i'm like that's just like extra dr pepper cherry dr (laughs) pepper is just mr pib flavored dr pepper because mr pib it just has more cherry in it yeah so it's kind of funny that they can't get the cherry cola right but the not dr pepper is fine yeah the cherry has more of an artificial taste to it which is ironic because of course it's all artificially flavored but it, yeah it has a kind of a weird hint to it that's not quite right and they didn't quite hit the cola right either mm, gross so yeah i need to i need to try some more stuff but I, i'm okay with the off-brand dr pepper but i think i actually like off-brand dr peppers yeah so those are pretty good i really like actually the um the shasta brand doctor i think it's called dr shasta or something like that yeah, I'm a, I like Dr. Thunder. I used to get Dr. Thunder, whoever makes that one. I have I feel never like that heard might of that be Walmart. before. Huh. Yeah. I like that we, like, culturally we've just decided that the genre is Dr. Something. <laughs> Except for Mr. Yeah. Pib. Mr. Pib had to be different. <laughs> it's okay, though, because Mr. Pib is the best Dr. Pepper alternative. I was kind of sad when um McDonald's switched away from Mr. Pib to Dr. Pepper. I'm always excited when I go to a movie theater and they have either Mr. Pib or Cherry Pepsi. Not Cherry Coke, right. Cherry Pepsi. Uh, this whole discussion is also reminding me of um, the same friend who eats all of the uh, citrus slices off of his beverages. Uh, he used to really want to be able to just buy a bag of syrup from, like, the soda dispensers. But you can. But, I, I mean, this is years ago now, so, you know, I think uh, the availability was more obscure at the time okay he he loves doctor not doctor he loves diet coke so much that he just wants to drink the syrup oh that's too much no thank you it's a lot but like who am i to step on his dreams (laughs) you need so little syrup to water for the ratio 
oh, to yeah. make soda. Like, soda is mostly water. Well, um, next time you're down here, well, you can go on an adventure to the Cash and Carry, because they have all, like, the the syrups for cheap, like the Toranis and whatnot. Maybe we can do, like, a, a off-brand root beer experiment. Hey, I'm down for that. I'm just, I'm just trying to spend less money on, like, having to buy, like, soda or cans of uh, sparkling flavored water. Like, I might as well be able to do it myself. It's yeah. a lot cheaper. Oh, yeah. And a lot less wasteful. Especially if you go to, um... Well, so, like, the cash and carry for people who aren't locals, and for you, because you've never been, it's, like, a, a <laughs> restaurant supply store, so you can buy, you know, like, 10-pound blocks of Monterey Jack cheese and, like, you know, 50-pound bags of beans, but they also have, like, all of the syrups ever for really cheap, like, $5 a bottle instead of whatever exorbitant price uh, you can get them elsewhere. And then also, um, Grocery Outlet a lot of times has the... Um, so bubbly, which is Pepsi's answer to uh, sparkling water. Yeah. You have to dig that up. They don't want people to know, and I find that very funny. Um, but they sell, like, a line of flavor drops. So they're, it's the same as, like, the syrups you can buy, like, SodaStream brand. But they're tiny little bottles. Um, and you can find them at Grocery Outlet for a decent price. You know, I walked the Grocery Outlet near me, which is not your Grocery Outlet, for, like, 30 minutes last week looking for those and i could not find them at that grocery outlet bargain market so when i have found them and it's not a constant but when i have found them they're on the shelves on top of like the little freezer bins okay yeah no they weren't there i walked that's where i thought they would be and like because their freezer section always has weird drinks but it was all yeah. just either wine or protein powder mm, yes the classic combination <laughs> yeah the, the grocery outlet near me isn't as good as the one you have so no, both of the ones down here are really solid. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I'm not going to say I can always find whatever I want, but, like, they generally have a good selection. They have what you need, not what you want. They have what you <laughs> need for that moment. You don't know what it, what you needed, but they have it. And speaking of things we maybe needed, the way this show works is every week we roll dice to select a platform, a category, and then a show. We listen to two different episodes each and come here to compare what we listen to and give our thoughts on it. So what's on the hook this week? This week we rolled our dice and reeled in Stuff You Missed in History Class with Tracy V. Wilson and Holly Fry, which at the time of rolling was number 12 on History on Apple Podcasts. From the description, join Holly and Tracy as they bring you the greatest and strangest Stuff You Missed in History Class in this podcast by iHeartRadio. Stuff You Missed in History Class is a long-running podcast that started on How Stuff Works in 2008. Although the website still exists, the podcast arm of it was sold off and is now part of the iHeartRadio network. So, um, you did most of the prepping for this script. I didn't see a website, though, when I looked it up. HowStuffWorks.com? Oh, it's an actual website. I just, the podcast yeah. just popped up, like, show links. Um, yeah, um, so the podcast just shows up on, like, iHeartRadio, and then mm -hmm. HowStuffWorks.com is its old website that it used to be on with, like, Tons of podcasts that they had. Yeah, they have a whole bunch of stuff. I just, I, but there's like, they don't have a separate thing now. No, it all got sold off like three times and ended up on iHeartRadio. It's kind For, of like $55 million, according to Wikipedia. Damn. It's kind of interesting. Yeah. This is the second podcast we've had from iHeartRadio. And it's the second one where they don't really have like a standalone webpage. It's just their show page on the platform. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird, but I guess it works because iHeartRadio is trying to be more of like a like a serious XM light. Mm. 
were trying to do because they they have like radio stations and stuff you can turn to. Yeah, and like listen to sports or uh, different types of music and stuff. Because I used to yeah. use it to listen to uh, baseball games. Oh, I used to listen just like to the straight up radio on it. Yeah, it's just an interesting phenomenon. It's not that there's no information on it. It's when it's just kind of uh, piecemeal. You kind of have to go dig in a little. Yeah, like the podcast description is light, but then if you click on the About Us, it has like a little um, blurb for both uh, Tracy and Holly, which is kind of nice. Mm, that is good. That's something. Yeah, so so it's not nothing. It's all findable. Um, How Stuff Works has a Wikipedia page, but Stuff You Missed in History Class doesn't. So, huh. yeah, I uh, kind of pieced that, it together. <laughs> that being said, similarly to our podcast, the title kind of tells you what you're getting. Yeah, um, stuff that usually isn't covered within the history classes that you may have taken in school. So, uh, the two episodes I listened to definitely were not touched upon when I was in school. The first one was um, Nick's V. Hedden and Tomatoes as Vegetables. And then the second one was called The French Republican Calendar. Ooh. Well, um, one of mine was definitely covered in school. So I listened to uh, Haunted Houses and Square Dancing. Oh, yeah. Which we didn't cover the history of Square Dancing in school, but... I definitely Different. had to learn square dancing in fifth grade. Did you? Uh, I'm trying to remember. I think social dance was in eighth grade. And then again, uh, I did PE in ninth grade. And I think we had a social dance segment. Huh. Well, so uh, in, in elementary school, our um, PE was like once a week, maybe twice. It was a lot of more of your traditional like dodgeball and running laps and all that kind of stuff. And then when I got into junior high, they started doing more, like, uh, units, and so this is the softball unit, and this is the basketball unit, and this is the social dancing unit, um, and, you know, you spend, like, a month doing whatever. Interesting. No, I definitely learned it in fifth grade. Um, I only took one year of PE after fifth grade because I got bullied in sixth grade about it, so I managed to, like, finagle my schedule for seventh and eighth grade to just not have PE. I, like, somehow wriggled out of it, even though nice. I wasn't supposed to. And then uh, my high school was small enough that we didn't have P.E. in high school. Ah, lucky you. Yeah, I know, right? And then I ended up joining the military and had to work out <laughs> five days a week. <laughs> but yeah, so I definitely had to learn this in fifth grade. And I was really excited at the time because uh, my grandmother was a big square dancer. She was very into square dancing. It was one of her favorite hobbies. Square dancing and hiking. My episode selection was really driven by, I have a tendency to pick topics that I think are relevant to my interests. And they frequently, as you know, evidenced throughout the course of this show, are very serious <laughs> and uh, lead to deep thoughts. And I really was not in the mood for that. So I went for stuff that I thought would be interesting, but weren't necessarily like deep dives into the annals of history or whatever. Um, so the first one was called uh, Nick's V. Hedden and Tomatoes as Vegetables. And it was a court case. So as many things do in the United States, this all started with tariffs and taxes. In 1880, there was a Republican-controlled Congress, and um, Garfield was our, the president. And they did not take advantage of having control of both houses of Congress. And so everyone was like interested in tariff reform of one way or another, but they didn't pass a package before they um, lost control of the House during the midterms in 1882. And so they attempted to pass uh, a reform package during the lame duck period um, in order to avoid Democrats' actions. And the House actually suspended the rules with a simple majority. So then on March 3rd of 1883, um, 
there was no huge reduction or reform, but they did pass like a tariff act, and it's um it's a massive act for that time period. Thirty nine pages, twenty five of which are just schedules. <laughs> the four hundred pages that like Congress does now, and um just as a historical side note, because I'm pedantic about it. Uh, Garfield was only president for six months in 1881, and then he got shot <laughs> and died. So oh, really? uh, Chester A. Arthur was president from oh. uh, September 19th, 1881 through, uh, gosh, for a minute, 1884, because I don't think he got reelected. Yeah. yeah, March 4th, 1885, because that lame duck period was still <laughs> around. Got it. Yeah, I don't think yeah. he really played much part in it. I think they were just kind of setting the stage for the uh, political background. But good to know. Um, you know, it's with the presidents, it's one of those things, like, when you name a president, I'm like, oh, yeah, that was a president, but I could not tell you what order they were in or uh, when they were in power. Oh, I had a whole obsession with um, late 19th century presidents for a good while. Uh, so. Which one was the one with the bathtub? Taft? Oh. Not yeah, he was also the only um, president to be on the Supreme Court. Oh. And uh, he was he was Roosevelt's chosen uh, successor, and he did everything Roosevelt didn't want. So Theodore Roosevelt started a new uh, party called the Bull Moose Party <laughs> and tried to run against him. There you go. There's your Taft facts. <laughs> I got tons. I've read I books. That. <laughs> um, so for people who are unaware, a schedule is basically a giant table uh, of lists of things um, and like in categories. Um, and so in the this act, um, vegetables were now going to be um, tariffed at 10% ad, ad volume, I think. But fruit was free. Uh, why? No clue. A lot of the things they were listing off were just like, I mean, I, I realize that a lot of taxation, you know, tariffs and whatnot are kind of um, arbitrary. But like one of them they brought up was, so coffee was not taxed. It was free. There were no tariffs on import. But things that were to be used as, Coffee replacements, so like dandelion root, had a tariff. <laughs> it reminds me of like the margarine versus butter thing, where I think it might still happen in Wisconsin now, but back in the day, margarine used to come undyed and be this like weird colored lump mm -hmm. with, and you'd get like a little dye packet because it wasn't allowed to be uh, marketed in the same way as butter and it wasn't allowed to look like butter. Mm. Yeah. Strange. Food lobbies, man. Yeah, yeah, really though. Um, So this case, there was this guy, Nick's. And I think he was uh, a grocer. He he was like an imp he owned a, like a produce import slash sets you know sales business. Um, and he and some colleagues wrote a letter protesting what they described as a three hundred percent increase, and also argued that they were importing crops that were not able to be grown domestically for you know three months out of the year because of you know weather and climate and all that. A lot of those things were affordable staples, but, you know, got passed anyways. In 1886, Hedden, who was the collector for New York State, tried to collect the tariff on vegetables for tomatoes that uh, Nix had imported from the West Indies. And so Nix, you know, tried to sue for his, his money back, trying to claim that tomatoes are fruit. So I think it is, and they brought it up in the discussion, but the the big thing about all of this is the difference between common language and scientific language. And so, you know, botanically, there are so many things that we eat that we call vegetables that are botanically a fruit. Anything with seeds in the middle. Pumpkins are a berry. 
Bananas are also a berry, which is always funny to me. Pumpkins and bananas. What everybody thinks about when they think about a berry. Uh Uh-huh, exactly. And also strawberries, not a berry. Categories are dumb. They are, but a lot of this, a lot of what this case came down to was common language versus botanical language. And so, like, the first, the first uh, hearing for the case was in the Southern New York District Court. And basically, both of the attorneys just, like, read off a lot of definitions from various dictionaries about what a fruit is and what a vegetable is. And then, like, the individual definitions for specific food items, like tomatoes. And so it's like, well, so, you know, the, the dictionary says that tomatoes are a fruit because they are, you know, the flowering, whatever. And there were also, like, two witnesses. Did they witness the tomato getting grown or something? No, I think they were, like, I didn't write this down, but I think they were just, They were like, probably, like, experts or something, but I like to imagine, like, someone just sat there <laughs> and watched a tomato grow, and they were witnesses to it. I think one of them was, like, another uh, importer who was like, yeah, this is how we use this, or whatever. <laughs> it's like, I don't know, you need a bot- botanist to tell you in court? Um, it just seems very, like, a very silly way to have a court case. Um... But they ruled in favor of Hedden for fairly obvious reasons. And then it was sent to the Supreme Court. Um, and we got a verdict in 1883. Uh, yeah, it came down to dictionaries are not evidence. And uh, botanical versus common speech. You know, and so like vegetables are things usually served at dinner. They're not, you know, sweet. They're savory. There were similar cases. Uh, one was asking if beans were seeds. And another one was defining whether beer was liquor. That one in particular is kind of interesting because the beer had soured during import. And so the importer was trying to argue that they shouldn't have to pay the tariff because it had soured and was no longer beer. Oh, yeah, because I guess liquor wouldn't really go bad. No. Huh. They lost. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the side that's going to get the tariff is usually going to win. Especially, but especially when you're being pedantic like that, right? Like, you could argue in court, or not in court, and you know, in law you know with lawmakers about how they're tariffing things um and you know their categorizations but if you're just going out of what off of what the tariff says you're kind of stuck eventually they did rule that you know beer was an intoxicant and therefore counted as liquor and you know under the schedule but the most interesting result of nixon versus hedden is because of these you know arguments for botanical you know or scientific versus common speech it has been cited at least 50 times in both state and federal courts it mostly comes down to, like, when somebody is talking about this thing, these are the words they are using. And it doesn't really matter, you know, what the specific definition is outside of that in terms of the law. It also had some broader use as whether or not dictionaries are evidence. They're not! <laughs> nice. I like, I like that. I like that dictionaries are not evidence because definitions are annoying. Use them to, like, help outline your case for whatever reason, but the definition alone is not count. But so some interesting facts after this. In 2005, New Jersey chose the tomato as their state vegetable, and it was submitted by fourth graders who cited the law. (laughs) I like that. In uh, Ohio and Tennessee, it is the state fruit. But in Arkansas, the Southern Arkansas vine-ripe pink tomato is both the state fruit and vegetable. There you go. That's how you do it, I guess. I don't know. I don't like tomatoes, so they're fine being whatever they want to be, as long as they're not on my sandwich (laughs) they're allowed to be salsa they're not allowed to be a topping i thought that was just an interesting it's an interesting court case it's an you know even though it's kind of silly it's an interest you know it's just it's a fun little bit and i'm glad i listened to it and also i do like tomatoes uh (laughs) yeah you can have all of the all of the tomatoes i don't like they're all yours 
Um, and so then the next episode I listened to was the French Republican calendar. So I've always found calendars kind of interesting just because they are a social construct that is attempting to categorize uh, a thing that we have no control over. You know, so the the Earth is going to spin at the speed it spins, and you know it's going to take whatever time it is going to take to revolve around the sun, regardless of how we try to measure it. And so it's actually hard to do very precisely because it's not that precise, right? Um, and that's why we end up with things like leap years, and uh, you know, eventually we're going to need like some leap seconds, I guess, um, because we're just going to get pushed too far forward at some point. Yeah, I feel like they added a leap second relatively recently. Yeah, I think like it happens ever ago. so often. Yeah, time is weird. In Judaism, we use, we still use for our holidays, uh, the Hebrew calendar, which is a lunar calendar. Um, and so our new year is actually uh, usually around September, September, October. And personally, I think it makes more sense as a new year. Also, there are uh, multiple lunar calendars uh, in Asia. So like the Chinese lunar calendar. They're... Uh, new Year is in the spring, which also I think makes more sense. The putting the New Year smack dab in the middle of winter has made never made any sense to me. No, no, it doesn't make sense. In fact, um, it used to be in the Roman calendar. It used to be in March because that way September would have been the seventh month, October the eighth month, November yeah. the ninth month, and December the tenth month. But yep, yeah, instead of you know what they makes are now. more sense. Yeah, but no, January, <laughs> the coldest, darkest month. And, but also because, you know, Judaism is on the Hebrew calendar. What, the reason, if you ever uh, talk to somebody Jewish and you ask when a holiday is, they're just going to be like, it's around here, is because it changes every year because it is a lunar calendar. Um, I did find out during this episode, I guess it was just nothing, something I'd never really put that much thought into, or maybe I had known at some point. Rather than doing a leap day, every four years, there's an, a 13th month. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I thought that's kind of cool because I guess because of the lunar calendar, you use you lose about eleven days every year. Huh. Anyways, uh, the French Republican calendar is a a perfect example of the French trying to fuck around with other people. <laughs> they do do that. Yeah, uh, they they were basically this happened during the French Revolution and a bid to reject all things related to the Catholic Church. Um, they d- decided to try and develop their own calendar. And for that calendar to be intentionally disruptive. But the thing about calendars is, even though they are constructs, we use them to regulate our lives. And if it is intentionally disruptive, it's not very useful. Yeah, people will just ignore it. And so they made this calendar uh, base 10, or also known as a decimal system calendar. So everything can be divided by 10. It had 12 months, which did not align with uh, the standard Gregorian 12 months. and. Uh, also, the New Year started uh, in September, what would have been September, I guess. Every month was three weeks. Every three weeks was 10 days. Every day was 10 hours. But there were 100 minutes in an hour and 100 seconds in a minute. No. No. <laughs> I not... like our base 12 time. Our base 12 time is perfectly fine. It is, and it works. Like, uh, you know, like I said... It is a human attempt to quantify a universal, you know, something that has been determined by the universe. But it's still, like, it's been measured that way for a reason. And it's that, it, you know, it fits best. There have been other attempts at, you know, they were talking about, apparently, um, they were trying to make all days 12-hour days. But then, you know, parts of the year that I mean, are super north, they're just, like, forever, you know, 
in I don't know. It just doesn't work. Yeah, like base ten base ten is a great idea because it's a lot easier to math. Like when the English went from their um their old system of like shillings and pounds and guineas, which didn't make any sense to base ten, uh it worked. I had I had a lot of older people tell tell me all about how shillings used to work. And it was confusing. I think there was like twelve shillings in a pound. Don't quote me on that. I'm probably wrong because it doesn't make sense. So base ten in currency, great. Base ten in measurements, also great. Like the the imperial system that we use in America doesn't quite make sense, but we drill it into our heads at an early age, so we make it yeah. work. But the days vary so much mm-hmm. in sunlight that like twenty four hours just kind of works, and it works because it's what everyone has kind of just used forever. It works, and it's a decent approximation of the amount of time it takes you to get, you know, make one full rotation around the sun. And yeah. It's the easiest way of dividing that amount of time. There's a reason that everyone uses it. Uh, and it's not just colonialism for a change. <laughs> um, oh, it's probably mostly colonialism, let's be real. But, eh. yeah, it's not just colonialism. Um, so, also, the days of the week were named in numerical order, specifically to fuck with the church. Uh, and every day on the calendar had its own name. So, like, when you're talking about the days of the week, you just call them first day, second day, third day. But if you're trying to talk about a specific day in a specific month, you have to know the name of that day in the name of that month. So, like, oh, hey, so on Steve, do you want to go watch a baseball game? Uh-huh. No. That's uh-huh. too complicated. <laughs> There's a reason this didn't stick. <laughs> I can barely rem- remember what day of the week it is, like... <laughs> during the week like i keep thinking recording this on a tuesday i kept thinking today was wednesday and i was very concerned that i had not taken out the trash <laughs> oh yeah and every month in a season rhymed uh so this is just very clearly like a calendar that like if your purpose of developing this calendar is like specifically to screw with the church doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be the most effective calendar right like yeah, this is a calendar of a bored college student that wants to just shake things up. Um, so it was adopted by decree in uh, October of 1793. It didn't last very long because one of the things was that you now only had three rest days a month and Ew. your work week was longer. Wasn't the point of like of revolution and chopping off people's heads was to make the lower classes less miserable? Yep. <laughs> And, you know, I, I suppose you could argue that people were still not working that many hours in a day, but it's still not great. And then because, you know, a lot of people, even people who supported the revolution were still going to church, they didn't know when they were supposed to be in church. Which probably, like, made the calendar people very happy. Yep. Um, and so then also the leap year just made no sense. There was some weird, it w- like, it wasn't every four years. It was just going to be calculated by astronomers and added as a sixth. So they had like five floating days at the end of the year that weren't part of any month. And then so then every so often you were going to have to have a sixth one. But it wasn't every four years. It was just like, oh no, the astronomer, astronomers will tell us when we need it. Oh man, that's so bad. So the actual adoption ended up being um, two months later on November 5th of 1793. But it did not work. So not only what we have already talked about, but um, it fucked with the clockmakers. Um, because there were standardized gears and, you know, ways of making clocks do the time-telling, and none of it worked anymore, because uh, the measurements had changed. Also, at this time, there was, like, really established global trade, and so basically everyone was having to do their work twice. Once in, like, the local 
French calendar and once on the global calendar. <laughs> it also disrupted the money cycle, so, you know, people's paydays were getting moved around. And just overall, no one was too happy with it. In 1801, Napoleon was like, hey, let's move this back to a seven-day week. And then in 1806, he was like, hey, I'm in charge now. Time for the Gregorian calendar to come back. Yay! And the people Thanks, rejoice! Napoleon. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so, uh, and then in 1871, the Paris Commune uh, tried to reinstate it, but um, they were only in power for not even quite three months, so that didn't happen. That being said, there are modern proposals for calendar reform, and some of those proposals are used by, like, office software or things like shipping. Um, there's, like, efforts to standardize months to always be 30-day months, and then, you know, you get one three-day weekend every month, and, you know, so that you're not, every year you're not trying to calculate when a day is or whatever. Um, and every, yeah, everything's very, you know, consistent. Oh, uh, so to go back for a second, a fun fact that I just wanted to share was that um, the Julian calendar apparently had two February 23rds to deal with a leap year. Nice. I can, I, can, I can get down with that. So yeah, overall, calendar is pretty fun. I enjoyed the episode. Oh, one last thing. Sorry. Um, so they do reader mail at the every, end of every episode. Um, and apparently there is a Ouija board for possums. And all of the letters nice. are just A's. Nice. So, as I mentioned earlier, um, I listened to Haunted Houses and Square Dancing. So, Haunted Houses um, was kind of an interesting trip. Uh, they kind of talked about, like, they were developed as a way to scare people so that, like, you wouldn't, you know, trick-or-treating. You would go out to the neighborhood and, like, do tricks and, and mess with the town. Haunted Houses really kind of were a way to kibosh that so there would be as much chaos on Halloween night. And then uh, they kept getting scarier and scarier and scarier, and I think someone eventually died, and then they got less scary and less scary, and then Walt Disney came around and made his Haunted Mansion. <laughs> so there's there's the history of Haunted Houses in, like, five seconds. It was it was a good episode. Um, it was interesting. I I kind of, you know, it was, it was pretty straightforward. Uh, the one I was really interested in was square dancing, because, like I said, uh, my grandmother was really into square dancing. Like, she had, in the corner of her bedroom tons of square dancing dresses like very floofy tooly bright colored dresses and she used to go square dancing all the time she'd come to my hometown because we have square dancing on the square and it would go square dancing because it's the state dance of arizona is it really yes <laughs> the state tie is the bolo tie in case you were wondering uh, i wasn't but i'm very glad to know yeah uh the state gun is a cult 45 because apparently we needed that i don't know arizona Ooh. The state flower is the cactus blossom. Ooh, now that I yeah. can get behind. The state bird, cactus wren. Mm. There's a theme. Uh, yeah, I'm starting to pick up on that. Yeah, we like our cactus. Anyway, um, so I was really interested in square dancing, and I kind of like thought, it's like, okay, this is this is where we're going to get into some um, racism, because there's no way that having to learn square dancing in fifth grade is not like part of some racist uh, like policy that was started in like the, the 30s or 40s, right? And I was right. Oh, no. And we got a surprise cameo from everybody's favorite early 20th century anti-Semite, Henry Ford. Lovely. Yeah. So uh, he's the one that really pushed square dancing into schools as a way <laughs> of uh, teaching good white kids how to dance a good white clown dance. Yeah. Oh, good grief. Okay. Yeah. And uh, square dancing actually has, like, black American roots because... Uh, 
after slavery, some of the few jobs that uh, black people could have would be entertainers. And so they would call out dances and there would be like these set dances and uh, like the quadrille and the cotillion are kind of related to square dancing, which I vaguely know what those are. But uh, so they would, you know, but then they would take it back to their neighborhoods and they would call out the moves. And that's how square dancing started is that like you call out the moves as you go and everyone does it. And it's square dancing because you had four couples in a square. Is the cha-cha slide technically a square dance? No, that's a line dance. Oh, okay. Because you stand in a line along with the electric slide. It's electric. Boogie, 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 boogie. So, okay. So Henry Ford. Yeah. Yeah. It's all his fault. Wait, so how did he get it? He just wanted students to learn a white dance. That's it. Well, he really liked square dancing. Um, okay. And yeah, he just wanted students to learn that. I guess it was like some like anti-Jewish thing because everything Henry Ford did was secretly anti-Jewish. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I don't know. I didn't take as many notes on my episodes, apparently, as you did, so that's all I got. <laughs> so, the thing about Stuff You Missed in History class, and this is just like an overview of the show, is that it's very detailed. Mm-hmm. They're very obviously reading from a very researched outline. Yeah, it's not broad strokes. Like, they're giving you, like, they're giving you a full history lesson. And so there's just a lot to intake, and I found myself, like spacing off and i was like i need to start taking notes because i'm just i'm not going to remember anything they tell me yeah i didn't take notes and i did space off which is why my my, um overviews are a lot shorter but also like that's kind of also how we do it is you tend to be a little more detailed in how you review podcasts than me it works out i I also was genuinely interested like i i think I, i for once did the the thing where i found subjects that were interesting to me and they were but they were still fun it's like, now I have some like fun little tidbits in my back pocket. Yeah, I'm very glad you didn't listen to the Spoiled Milk episode, mm. because that one's bad. And you Ew. don't ever need to listen to that. You don't need to know it exists. Forget I said anything. Think about <laughs> something fun and joyful. Uh, uh, rainbows. Think about rainbows. Happy Pride. <laughs> yeah. Think about how cuddly bears are. It's great. It's also one of those shows, like, unless... So, like, when you look at their show page on whatever app you're listening to podcasts on it the titles don't really tell you much they give you a name and like you you know you can click on and see their description but it's kind of hard to know what you're getting into at a glance and so i was picking things with titles that i was like okay this is very clearly going to be okay and i don't have to like go wikipedia things before i listen yeah um and and like yeah it's like the title for mine was just square dancing yeah. And you click on the thing, and it's like, square dancing has very older roots and has endeared as a pastime to present day. It's history, though. Comes with some thorns. And scholars don't even agree on its exact origin. So, <laughs> yeah, they, they are, you know, quick little tidbits, but also, they cite everything. Yeah, they do. Which is kind of cool, if you want to do, like, yeah. your own research. Yeah, so their show notes are really in-depth. I really like the format of, they're both reading from a an outline. They trade off, like, who researched each episode. Um, and like they, they also trade off who talks, like each one gets a section. So I really like that. It's really, it's a really good flow for two people on a focused podcast Definitely for discussing something. I, I did find myself wishing, so, um, you know, so maintenance phase, which we both listen to, or Michael Hobbs, other show, if books could kill, they is very heavily research based and they're going into the history of things, but there's also a lot of like discussion. Yeah. And stuff you missed in history class really doesn't do a whole lot of discussion but every once in a while they would like break away to make a quip and i was like i wish they would do this more 
But they literally don't have time, Dita, because half of their episodes are ads. <laughs> the square dancing episode was like 41 minutes, and I swear 20 minutes of it was ads. The first minute and a half is ads. The last two and a half minutes are ads. And like every 10 minutes within the episode, they have two or three ads. Yeah. Like the ads are why, because I used to listen to this every week, because it comes out three or four times a week. Oh, wow. Yeah, it comes out like every two or three days. <laughs> they do they do two uh, regular episodes a week, a behind the scenes, and then they do a classics episode where they just like republish an old episode. Okay, so they're not coming up with new material every other day. <laughs> no, but still, that's a lot. I used to listen to all of it, but the ads got so much that even skipping the first and last minute of the episode, like through my podcast player, it was still too many ads. And like, I used to listen to this like before bed of like my chill winding down or like i used to listen to it while driving or hiking but it's too many ads and i can't focus on it anymore did the ads change like in correspondence with when it got taken over by iHeartRadio? oh yeah yeah they got really bad about two years ago maybe three years ago that, this is our second show with iHeartRadio, and that other show also had the worst ads yeah so uh these lads ads are very much like more of the traditional ad category things for like trucks or i don't even know i skipped through them but they they're more like what you would see on tv or in standard radio in terms of ads yeah but the other thing is that they're localized and i hate it see mine weren't localized so it might be podcast player specific um i was listening on pocket casts huh maybe i just didn't notice Maybe. I mean, I like you were skipping through them. Yeah, I kind of zoned them out because I, I tried timing them, timing the ads so I could give you like an actual time. And then I forgot like halfway <laughs> through the episode because there were too many ads and I just kept forgetting to like start or stop the stopwatch. Yeah, I don't know how many of the ads were localized, but like the first minute of the first episode I listened to was a localized ad. And I was like, oh, no, like I understand that they're not really like, you know, exactly pinging my location. They're going off IP address. In fairness, it's kind of nice to have localized ads because, you know, you might be getting potentially supporting local businesses in terms of their outreach or whatever. But it, it just kind of creeps me out a little. Yeah, I I don't want my podcast player to know where I live. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, the, the internet knows where we live and there's not much we can do about that. But uh, it doesn't mean I like it. <laughs> At least pretend you don't know. These iHeartRadio ads, they're a little too much. Also, it's just like interesting because we really haven't run into that with like any other platform yeah um yeah it's interesting like the only other the only other one i had big issues with the ads were pod meets world just because the volume was so different but yeah but that was also iheart radio was that iheart radio was that yeah. iheart radio one yeah i try to remember this whole time <laughs> <laughs> it's all blurred together it's been a long week yeah it's just i love i love the topic i love um holly and tracy I think they're great hosts. I think they do great work. I like their research. I like the things that they talk about. They're very good about making sure to point out if things don't line up with our current values, like the things that happened in the 19th, 19th century aren't always going to align with the values that we hold close today. And they're very careful about making sure to discuss that. And I really appreciate yeah. that. But, oh my gosh, those ads. I actually had to go like go into the settings of my podcast player because I had been subscribed for this for so long. That I had to automatically set up to skip the first and last minute because it's just ads. And I had to like go in and undo that so I could see how much of it actually was an advertisement. Huh. Yeah. 
Um, yeah, you know, I enjoyed it. I, I don't think I was ever a regular listener. I think years ago I used to listen to it on occasion. Um, but I think I re- just really never super got into it. Like I said earlier, like just their presentation style, it's good. It's just not necessarily something that I personally enjoy. Oh, no, this was this was my gateway podcast. This is the podcast that got me hooked on podcast. I used to go like put put on like two or three episodes of this and go wander off into the desert for like two hours. Yeah. I think my gateway podcast was 99% invisible. Oh, that's a good one. Radio yeah. Lab is also a good gateway podcast. That was like the second yeah. one I listened to. All right. So uh, do you have any final thoughts on stuff you missed in history class? Uh, if you missed some stuff in history class, give this a listen. Well, that concludes this week's episode. Thanks so much for listening. If you'd like to talk to us, our website is podcastpodcast.fish. Our email is podcastfisherman at gmail.com. And we're on Twitter and Instagram at podpodfish. Music is by the incomparable Evan Speakman, who you can find on Instagram as at Speakman Recording. Episode is edited by me, Lisa. Logo is by me, Dita. We'll be back with a fresh catch next week. Bye. Bye.